When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, this is Kat, and I support Gen X Grown Up. Whether I'm reminiscing right along with them or learning something new, Gen X Grown Up always dishes out fresh, thoughtful, and creative perspectives. You can support their efforts too. Just go to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. You won't regret it. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up podcast listeners, to this, the backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up podcast. I am John. Joining me as always, of course, is Mo. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? It's not a show without George. How's it going? Hey, how's it going, everybody? 40 years ago, rock band Van Halen released their sixth studio album. Together, Eddie Van Halen, David Lee Roth, Alex Van Halen, and Michael Anthony produced a hard rock album that kicked off what would become one of the best years for music ever. In this backtrack, we remember and play through what is arguably one of Van Halen's best albums ever, 1984. And appropriately enough, 40 years ago, 1984 as well. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to say what all our listeners who are our age are thinking right now. That was 40 years ago <laughs> right oh yeah oh yeah yeah it is it's something Multiple about generations have happened since then <laughs> so. damn it mo here i was I'm about sorry. to have a great time and now i feel old yeah <laughs> Older, yeah i was somehow. i was very sad when i saw a recent youtube video that just got released that said uh the best songs that are 40 years old from 1984 and i went 20 yeah. fuck Now, you guys will likely remember when we did our Purple Rain backtrack, Mm -hmm. we consulted with Marcus, one of our longtime patrons, who is a super fan of Prince and very knowledgeable about Purple Rain. Well, shortly after that came out, the other Marcus, one of our other longtime listeners and supporters, <laughs> Marcus Brixa, he said it was fine to use his name here. Now, I've known Marcus for many, many years. Before Gen X grown up, he is a professional musician, guitarist. He's commented on some of our musical backtracks before. As a guitarist and a fan of rock music, he is a Van Halen and obviously because Eddie Van Halen, super fan. And he had mentioned way back then, if you guys ever do a Van Halen backtrack, hit me up. I would be happy to help. And boy, did he. We said, hey, Mm -hmm. Marcus, we're planning on doing a backtrack on Van Halen's 1984 to celebrate his 40th anniversary. And he did his research. So effectively, Marcus is the executive producer of this episode. We have a lot of information that we would likely have never found, or if we had, we would not have been able to put it in context. So we often start the show with a fourth listener email. I'm actually going to share with you the preface to Marcus's research he did for us (laughs) as the fourth listener email. 
for this episode. Here's what Marcus says. I was already a fan of Van Halen before 1984 was released, as I had received their previous album Diver Down as a Christmas gift from my aunt. I was 12 years old and already very active in my own guitar playing, having started lessons when I was 10. Hearing Van Halen for the first time is still a memory I'm deeply connected to. The sound, attitude, and chemistry of this band was unlike anything I had heard before, and Eddie Van Halen instantly became my favorite player, as his tone and unique style still moves me, and Eddie Van Halen's playing literally shaped to me as a guitar player and still does to this day. Now, pause here. I had heard like Eddie Van Halen is his greatest guitar player, but I never knew it from a musical standpoint. Did you guys have a, a like a stance on Eddie Van Halen or a knowledge of his legendary guitar status? I mean, I just knew stuff from talking to people who I knew play guitar. Like okay. everybody who I knew play guitar loved Eddie Van Halen. Like they said he is like the me too. I heard that too. Of, yeah, yeah, I just knew it was the name of the band. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I found out like, oh, there's two of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Later, I found out there was two of them. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so Marcus then gets to 1984 here. He says, I remember waiting in anticipation for the release of 1984. I was 14 years old and about to enter high school. That's the perfect time to... That's why Gen X is so cool. Uh, this is not Marcus's email. This is me talking. Gen X is so cool because we were the right age at the right time for some of the best pop culture stuff that hit. And this is no difference. When the album first hit my ears, Marcus says, however, I was a bit surprised as it sounded very different than his previous records, but I quickly fell in love with the record. And to this day, it is my all time favorite album by any band, period. Mm. It is my Desert Island album. If I could only pick one record to listen to ever, it would be 1984. Mm. Mm. I think he liked it. So this is, this is the, this, he liked it. This is the man we have doing our research for this album. So we might actually sound intelligent for this episode. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> I mean, wow. till people listen to the first part of the episode where you said we did none of the work somebody else did, then we just sound like monkeys reading a card, which is arguably well, what's happening If you skip here. Yeah, ahead, well, you'll know. think we're geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Marcus, first of all, thank you so much for volunteering to do some research on this. Secondly, we're so happy that we had an opportunity to hear from someone who is so invested in this album, share some knowledge on it. So just like the previous musical backtracks that have become quite popular, we're going to talk about the band and the origin of the album, and then we're going to walk through track by track of 1984 from 1984. And we're going to get started with all of that right after this quick break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. One of the world's hottest rock and roll bands is coming. It's going to be the biggest show ever in the Hampton Coliseum with Van Halen. The 1984 tour comes to Tidewater Wednesday night, 8 p.m. at Hampton Coliseum. With 24 tons of sound and lights. Tickets are available at all Ticketron locations, including Tracks, Mothers, Birdland, and the Hampton Box Office. Wednesday night at Hampton Coliseum, Van Halen. You now have fair warning. 
Van Halen's 1984 tour is unchained. Get your tickets now for Van Halen Live in Hampton Coliseum, Wednesday night at 8 p.m. One of the world's hottest rock and roll bands, Van Halen, an FM 99 music event from Cellar Door. Let's get going talking about Van Halen's 1984, now 40 years old. I know, Mo. I'm going to remind you one more time. <laughs> we should stop bringing that up. Let's just. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be tough. It's the name of the album. It's going to be difficult. Yeah, look, look, Van Halen was a. They were a band that made hard rock really fun. Like you could dance to it. The songs were innovative and a sense of humor that I appreciated. Mm-hmm. It's, it's some songs in particular, not all, but some. It was it was kind of bawdy in places. It was kind of tongue in cheek in places. And we have a lot of little factoids to share with you that Marcus gave us. First, though, I've asked our resident uh, numbers and statistician, George, to kind of <laughs> dig in and get some stats about this album to kind of set the stage. So what'd you find? Well, quite a bit. Um, surprisingly, though, not the stats that I expected to find. When you talk about an album that you remember so fondly from such a long time ago, you just automatically have this assumption like, oh, every song on it was number one and Mm -hmm. it probably stayed at the top of the charts for 700 weeks or some shit. (laughs) But that's just not the case with this album. Like, slightly disappointing, but I think you'll understand why as I go through it. So first of all, Mm. Rolling Stone ranks this as album number 81 on its list of 100 greatest albums of the 80s. Now, there's a couple of microcosm qualifiers there. Like, it's not even saying of all time. It's not saying of the previous century or anything Mm -hmm. like Specifically of a 10-year period, this was album number 81. Wow. That goes to what John was saying. Well, it does, but that goes to what you were saying earlier about this kicked off a really great year in music for us Mm -hmm. there was obviously a ton of competition so Maybe that's why it's not quite Mm -hmm. as high. On the Billboard chart, the Billboard 200, it reached number two. Now, here's why it only got to number two and never went further. It was kept (laughs) out of the number one spot by Michael Jackson's Thriller. (laughs) I I figured. (laughs) Which Eddie Van Halen did a guest performance on anyway. So technically, Eddie Van Halen had the one and two spot at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of did. Uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller screwed up a lot of stats for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like Home Alone did for movies in that year. <laughs> like it was just the only film in theaters. Uh, mm. It was also certified diamond by the RIAA. If anybody remembers who they were, they were the company that took down Napster. Fucking assholes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and they solved piracy. Well done, RIAA. They did, yeah. right? That was uh, it was that. certified diamond by them, <laughs> but not until... 1999. Oh, took a while. So 15 years later, Hmm. but it did hit the diamonds mark means that it sold 10 million copies in the US. So that's a pretty significant milestone Mm -hmm. to hit for any album of the day. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's all streaming and downloading and everything. So I don't know what metric they might use to say gold, silver, diamond, but they probably don't even call them that anymore. But then finally, I wanted to talk about the different charts that I could find. So we talked about U.S. Billboard 200. It was number two. In the U.K. on their albums chart, it hit number 15 was the highest spot it reached in the U.K. Mm. 
I guess they just don't like American rock over there. Um, Canada on the top albums chart, number one. So finally, it did get a number one spot. But in Canada, they're always nice to everybody. So I think everybody gets a shot at the number one spot. Or they're being mean to Michael Jackson, one or the other. I don't know which. (laughs) Somebody else deserves a spot up there with them, you know. Right. right. Michael Jackson's had it enough. Let's give the next guy number one spot. So there you go. I mean. There's a ton more stats to go into. Like you could talk about which rank each song got and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was only one number one that I found on it and won't be any surprise which song it was from the album, but mm-hmm. yeah. it just didn't, even though it's very popular, it's one of the most popular Van Halen albums as Marcus is telling us here, just didn't do the stats that you might think it should. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big album, but came out at a big time. Like you said, there is, yeah. that album, album was marching with giants right it wasn't like a yeah. what do you call the the big fish and little pond kind of thing it was it was a big fish with other big fish in a big pond it was crazy yeah now marcus tells us though we didn't know it at the time this album was eddie van halen's personal breakthrough and it's because he had already achieved everything any guitarist could imagine he'd been voted the best rock guitarist five years in a row mm. <laughs> And was the most famous rock player on the planet at that point, according oh, yeah, to fire. Marcus. Now, fame is, is is subjective, but he's not wrong. People knew who he was, you know, no doubt. He was also working in a band with another mega alpha male, <laughs> David Lee Roth. He's a character in and of himself. They butted heads quite a bit. And and that that butting of heads was growing even at the time 1984 came out. And he needed a sanctuary to explore his creativity on his own terms. And and that makes sense because, you know, 1984, you know, the first album, it was recorded in 5150, which was Eddie's, you know, his first fully functional private studio that he built because every and he I think he did every album after that until like 2012 was also recorded there. And he said, if you're a fan of rock music, you know about Eddie's 5150 studio. Mm -hmm. It's also the name of an album, song, guitar. That's what I thought it was referring to. When I read that note, I thought, wasn't there an album? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But like you said, John, I think it was important for him to have his own studio to do his own music, right? explore his own ideas without a big record label or somebody behind him telling him what to do and, and try or to, David Lee Roth. Or David Lee Roth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a private home. He didn't, he wasn't invited. <laughs> and just because he was creative as hell. And I just gave him an opportunity to just do what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Now 1984 is also Van Halen's first album to really embrace keyboards which was already starting to take off in the late 70s, early 80s. Now, other records they put out had used them a little bit, but it was way more obvious in 1984. And I would say specifically on the title track, 1984, from 1984. But it makes good sense because Eddie Van Halen was already a classically trained pianist and loved the sounds he could create on the keyboards. That seems unfair to be this kind of amazing guitarist and and also be an amazing pianist. I know. Talent should be spread out more. Spread the talent around. (laughs) Let me do something good. Good. Come on. Yeah. Also, a lot of 80s bands already used keyboards, as I was saying, and synthesizers. And so this was a choice that he made that kind of would broaden the appeal of Van Halen. Not It's not just shredding guitars. It's also this, this kind of synth pop added in as a layer. Yeah. I mean, and I know that he received a lot of pushback with this because, again, he was known as guitar, right? Five years running. Yeah. He was mm-hmm. the guitar god. And who wants to hear him play piano? I mean, he's like, you know, it's <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> you know why, why? Play the hits. Play, just yeah, play exactly. Exactly. Freebird. <laughs> 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 
but he proved everyone wrong. It's funny because Marcus even said in his notes to us that little me started piano lessons shortly after hearing Eddie play the keyboard. So <laughs> <laughs> if Eddie you know, can do like, it, I could do that's it. That's right. Yeah. It, it must be cool if he's doing it. So I guess I need to do it too. But again, it oh. just shows you just how talented that guy was. Yeah, I'm gonna say I, I just recently uh I just recently purchased Marcus's uh, guitar album and I didn't hear any keyboards on it. So apparently guitar is the path that he chose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he kind of wraps up his, his intro here that I'll share with you that the songs on 1984 are fantastic. The album casts a wide net stylistically, I would agree with, while sounding cohesive. I'm not sure how I feel about that. We'll, we'll see as we get into that. Yeah. It did have great pop appeal, hard rock appeal, a sense of humor, something that this Van Halen lineup kind of always had. And everything the band did great was actually front and center, fully displayed on this record. So if you were a fan of Van Halen, this was going to be tailor-made for you already. But if you were a fan of pop in general, it had so many facets to it that explains why, like you said, or looking at the stats, George, that yes, it's a hugely popular album, not the the hugest or most popular album, but Mm -hmm. certainly uh, it's right up there with them. And it's because they kind of took these chances. Let's add keyboard. Let's add this. And everybody was kind of firing all cylinders for this album. With that as a setup, I think it is time to finally drop the needle on this album. We get back from this quick break. We're going to start in on side one of Van Halen's 1984. Stick around. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show too. It helps more than you know. They're real hot. They're blowing smoke. They're on fire. The hottest rock and roll band in America. The 1984 World Tour. Van Halen. Live. Roanoke Civic Center is Saturday, February 4th at 8 p.m. Let's get started then on the side one of 1984 by Van Halen. And the first track is one that it became immediately aware to me that I never owned this album, or if I did, I never listened to it (laughs) sequentially as an album. There were songs on here that either surprised me they were here, didn't sound like Van Halen to me, or didn't sound like it at first, or I'd never heard it all. Yeah. <laughs> or turned out to be great songs. I didn't understand why I never heard the same it thing. And the first one, you know, Marcus talked a lot about how synthesizers and keyboards were used a lot on this album that hadn't been on previous Van Halen albums. And that's the case with the title track on here, which is instrumental entirely, and it's called 1984. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's at first I'm like, am I listening to an Alan Parsons record? It's just a bunch of synth and stuff. (laughs) What's happening? And it really never turns for me into a Van Halen song, but it's interesting and cool as a way to intro an album that is from a rock heavy band. It was surprising Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. I, 
am like you, John. I realize as we went through these things preemptively before we started talking that I have not heard half of these songs. I've I've heard three songs, so fortunately I got to choose one of those three songs as mine <laughs> later on down in the podcast. Uh, I didn't listen to the album before we even started recording the podcast. Got a lot of stuff going on, but I will say that this song, A, about... 20 or 30 seconds in, I felt like I heard a few notes of the song Jump that's on the album. And little hints, it, yeah. Yeah, little hints of it. And then it also felt like that this song belonged as the intro theme song of a B sci fi movie from the <laughs> 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> you should see some sparks in the background and the Jacob's yeah, Ladder like, thing. <laughs> like I see like some Buck Rogers be- Battle Beyond the Stars kind of credit intro sequences happening during what I was listening to. And I thought it was interesting from looking at Marcus's notes that he said that everyone was a big surprise that it had only keyboards and no hard rock guitar in it. And maybe mm-hmm. was he, I think he was maybe even setting like the expectation for people later in the album. Like, okay, just so you know, you know. So here's what's coming. Yeah. Here's what's coming. Get ready. You know, there was an argument in the studio. David Lee Roth was like, what do you mean you're not playing guitar? And Van Halen was like, fuck you. The band's named after me. I'm playing keyboard. And my brother's over there on drums. So you shut up. That's right. That's right. So the next song that we're going to talk about here, I mean, Mm. is there anybody on this planet, this universe who does not know this song? It's Jump. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was the first single of 1984. Obviously, a huge first hit. And do you know that this was actually their first number one song? They've never it's had the one only before. number one from this album. Yeah, which is yeah. in a way, it's almost crazy. But, you know, again, look at the competition and what was yeah. going on at the time. Also, it starts with keyboards. Again, we keep talking about keyboards that he does mm-hmm. in this. You know, it starts with the keyboards in it. Everyone knows the song, and I think for good reason. Yeah, yeah. You know, whenever I heard this song, I always think about it as it's a song about perseverance and going for it and just trying something, you know? I mean, and you could paint it onto anything. I think a lot of Van Halen's music, and we're going to talk about as we go through some more tracks, is heavily sexualized, and it's about, like, going after a mate or a, a girlfriend or a spouse or something and, you know, trying to conquer someone sexually. But I always found this one, though you could map that onto it, I think that I always heard Jump as a motivational, like, you know, it, it's going to be difficult, but just go for it. Just jump on in. You might as well try. You know, might as well jump. You just, you know, go for it. You know, give it a try. Just see what's the worst mm-hmm. that's going to happen. You know, for me, this song, obviously, number one song, so we all knew it and listened yep. to it when we were kids yep. on the radio. It was playing 27 times a day. But <laughs> my friends and I could never understand David Lee Roth's lyrics in this song. Really? We always got them wrong. The might as well jump lyric, for some reason, my friends translated, and I believed oh. them for years, as I'm Maxwell jump. I don't know how <laughs> well that came jump. to be. Like, well it was jump. a declarative statement of a person's name as opposed to... <laughs> what somebody might need to do in order to get things going or something like that. And Uh, for years I had that in my head, I kept going back and forth. like, I think that says might as well jump. Yeah. But my friends are sure it was Maxwell jump. What the fuck is he saying? (laughs) I I can't unhear that. David Lee Roth had marbles in his mouth at some point, I guess. That's all I'm going to hear now when I hear this song. Something that I found fascinating that Marcus shared with us, again, having an expert really helps. This song was written about three years before the album came out. And the other band Hmm. members said no. 
because it's too pop sounding. Oh, wow. And then when they finally used it, the guitar solo in Jump is the first time you actually hear some guitar shredding of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. It's not nothing in 84, but then it's not until midway through Jump when you get to that solo and we turned it down for three or four years and then we finally included it and it becomes the breakout hit. So I guess I he knew what he was doing. It's just that whole idea though. It's too pop sounding. Like I can see if like the writing a song to be a pop song, then that's mm-hmm. one thing. But if it just right. happens to sound like a pop song and it's still a good song, yeah. what do you care? You know, it's like, oh no, it, it might sell. Don't release that. It's too <laughs> yeah, pop sounding. <laughs> popular. Let's not do this. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> you know, the third track on this album is arguably one of the three that I know. So maybe that's not an argument. <laughs> that's not <laughs> arguable. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> But it's also, to me, it's the antithesis of another song that came out in the 80s. So if you like pop easy listening, you might have heard of the Island Nation of Kokomo. But if you like heavy metal listening, you definitely heard of Panama. I think Marcus summed it up best with one of his notes that he gave us on this. He said, any thoughts that Van Halen was getting soft were put to rest when you heard Panama mm-hmm. get your speakers off mm-hmm. of this album. It is batshit, hardcore, guitar shredding. <laughs> Just like you want to slam your head. But I, I really like this song. It's great. And I didn't know this. Somebody else might have picked up on it. Um, obviously, Marcus did. Apparently, there's a breakdown section in the song that has a bunch of engine revving noises mm-hmm. from Eddie Van Halen's 1972 Lamborghini. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, what a show off. I know. Well, <laughs> I mean, it is a 12-year-old car. He probably picked it up off of a for sale lot somewhere or something. So he probably didn't pay a lot for it. But still, that's pretty cool. I have something to blow your mind, George. And I know it will blow your mm. mind because it blew my mind when I was red prepping for this show. Okay. I, too, always assumed the song Panama was about the physical location Panama. Oh. It's about a car. (laughs) There's a car that's called Panama? So listen to this. So I looked this up. It was almost a dare. David Lee Roth was often criticized by a member of the press for his sex, drugs, and rock and roll repertoire, saying the rocker only ever sang about women, parties, and fast cars. Okay. But then David Lee Roth said, wait a minute, I never wrote a song about a car, but now I'm gonna. <laughs> so, yes. I, just, I think I like right? that. Right? It's, it's hilarious and awesome. So they say the song is said to be inspired by a car that David Lee Roth once saw at a drag race, a car christened the Panama Express. Oh, okay. (laughs) Gotcha. However, as we said before, all the song's lyrics, all the engine revving and pistons firing, wheels Mm. burning, it's a lot of innuendo, right? So it's, yeah, it's about a car, but it's about I can't remember what the video is, but for some reason I have in my mind that there's a boat in the video. Yeah, I think it, 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 I think it hits on all those because all my life I thought it was about the place Panama and that fit because you could have fast cars at Panama and the boats and the women and all that. I had no idea it was almost a dare. You know what? I don't do anything <laughs> about fast cars, but now I will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, Marcus also points out that they played this live at every concert tour since it came out. Like it's like really an essential wow. song that they have to play now. It's at every the one. Concert. Oh yeah. I, I don't know why. Why would you skip it? It's like skip and jump. You got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
that's a good one. I like it. I like it a lot. You know, we talked before about how Van Halen's like, if you were into guitar and into music, it was like they were like the the band. Like there were people that everyone listened mm-hmm. to who I knew who played oh, yeah. guitar. Everyone loved them. Like right? a musician's band. Right. right yeah. Exactly. And this one, this next song, Top Jimmy, definitely seems to be a song that kind of fits that criteria. So Marcus writes that basically this tells a story of a local L.A. band called Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs. And that <laughs> yep. Lee Roth apparently really liked and wrote a song about them, which I hope they got some popularity from that. <laughs> <laughs> it was at a, a place called the Top Taco Stand outside of A&M Records, there where often bands would play. And he met the, and David Lee Roth even played with these guys on stage oh, wow. at the Taco Stand or something and just liked them. So his nickname was Top Jimmy. So it's not a fictitious band. It's a real it's band. It's a real guy. A yeah, real guy, a real band. A real band, yeah, band apparently it's a real band, yeah. Top Jimmy. Yeah, wow. because yeah. because it was Jimmy, he played at the Top Taco stand, so they called him Top Jimmy from this band, and that's, well, that's what it's ostensibly about, but it's it's a Van Halen song. It's also about drug, sex, and rock and roll. So I'm going <laughs> to read verbatim the next part that Marcus put in here, because okay. I understood every third word. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so for all you guitar people out there, you will probably totally understand this, and it makes perfect sense to you, but to me, I don't really get it, but I'm going to say it. The guitar used on the cut was a prototype Kramer Ripley guitar that featured six individual pan controls Ooh, one six. for each string of the guitar Ooh. and he changed the tuning of the guitar so he could play the intro melody entirely with harmonics and pan the strings hard left or right in the serial system Oof. <laughs> don't know what that means but it sounds impressive as hell <laughs> yeah he says listen with headphones on and you'll get it is what he's saying so, okay <laughs> it sounds like he can he can send each string to the left or right Headphone, maybe? That's that sounds like what you do with Mo and I in this podcast. You send, oh, yeah, one, send one of us to one, one speaker right. and the other one the other one. And only grod like John is allowed to be in both speakers. <laughs> I am a Neither center. one of us. <laughs> I forget. my right or left? I always forget that. I don't know. <laughs> Finally, we're at the last song on side one of this album. Now, you guys who grew up in the era of download streaming and all that kind of stuff don't understand that albums had a finite amount of space and you can only fit so much music on one side of an album. So five songs on side one, and this one is titled Drop Dead Legs. Now, this one, I don't know why, but just the way this song started out, it oddly reminded me of a heavier version of a Creedence Clearwater Revival song. I don't know why. Hmm. It just... It had kind of that swamp rock type of groove feel thing. And I just associated in my brain quickly with CCR. But it's got some really fun favorable music going on with it. This is one of those that I don't remember ever hearing before. So it never hit the radio. If it did, I didn't catch it. And if it did and I caught it, I didn't realize I was listening to a Van Halen song at all. And I think if I didn't hear the lyrics to this song, I would like it more because it's it's almost like pure objectification. You know, it's it's beyond adoration. It's like giant butt, nice white teeth, and it's like wow. That's <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to say you're a lovely woman and Wait you're sexy. It's another thing to yeah. I know. Drill into, I know George is going to go with this. I know you're a fan. Hold on, you don't get to throw shade at this song when I know you're a fan of Baby Got Back. That is the most objectifying <laughs> song in the history. Of 
of the well, 80s, and you're a fan of that, so you don't get to throw shade at this one. There is a whole debate there. I would argue and can that Uh-oh. Baby Got Back is a female empowerment ballad. Oh, but we can get to that at we, another time. Are we back in the hot memes, hot takes segment of the last episode? Yeah, really. It just, but it does. It feels so, so specifically almost grimy. It's like grading women like cattle. Well, like, oh, the right butt size, the right shade of teeth, the right ever. It's grimy to me. I like the sound of the song. I like the guitar. I like the rhythms, but it feels dirty. Well, now you can make my next comment sound really sleazy because. Oh, I awesome. <laughs> Go for it. Because I didn't, like I said, this is one of the songs I'd never heard before. Honestly, I'd never okay. heard this song before. And I was listening to the album in the car, like on repeat, just kind of going through the songs. This one was one of the few. I actually went back and heard, like as soon as I heard the first time, I went back and heard it again because I enjoyed it so much. Like I was just like, this is a, this mm-hmm. is a I really like this song. I like the rhythm on it. It seemed like a great. I do too, kind of if not for the song. words. <laughs> I, I didn't pay attention to the words that much. Yeah. But I was okay with it, I guess, tacitly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Give it a pass. But, you know, again, I thought it was just a great song. It just the sound of it, I just I thought it was really amazing. Well, and Marcus said in his notes, you know, he talks about the fact that this is the, the track where Eddie Van Halen's music really shows and shines through. And it's his favorite song on the album. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, ahead of Jump, ahead of Panama, ahead of the, I'll wait, ahead of all these we're going to talk about, because of the, I, the musicality, I would expect. I'm going to assume that I know that Marcus is is not a womanizer, or maybe, well, he was a horn dog in his youth. But, so but. not only have you thrown shade at Eddie Van Halen, yes. now you've also thrown shade at our executive producer on the show. You're getting fired. That's all that's going to happen. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and Mark's like, you know, he's reconsidering all his life choices. I can't believe this is my favorite song. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at genxgrownup.com. Let me think of how to word this. That's our job, David. For the first time anywhere, MTV will show you Panama, the brand new video from Van Halen. World premiere video music from Van Halen's album 1984. Thursday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central, exclusively on MTV Music Television. (laughs) We just go for it.
what I remember most actually about this album, more so than even the songs, was the album cover. Mm, you know, the, mm. the little kid yep. with the cigarettes things, which the cherub because they the had Roman wings. numerals. Yeah. Was anyone able to dig into this and figure out where that came from? I did. There's a lot you could hear about it. There's a lot of back and forth about how it was originated. So I just pared it down a little bit. Graphic designer Margot Nahas created this album cover. Now, Nahas had created the artwork by modeling the cherub off of her friend's son, Carter. So, little kid, he was the child that sat for Nahas. They gave Carter a pack of candy cigarettes while she was working on the artwork, and he gobbled them all down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. She says, I took a picture of him, took him candy cigarettes, which he proceeded to eat every single one of them, after a brief tantrum, of course. (laughs) And then that basic picture of this little kid eating these candy cigarettes was then used as the inspiration for the the cherub, and they added the wings and all that kind of stuff. So uh, there's a story about how they presented it to them, and they went back and forth and whatever, but... Uh, I thought it was very interesting that it was just this artist who had done a lot of album covers and they picked that up. So neat. (laughs) First song up side two Mm. is Eddie Van Halen's hot for teacher. Okay, so this is probably, for me, it's the most recognizable song. I know it's probably second for most people to jump, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I know this song so well because it's been used time and time and time again in movies and TV shows. This song was everywhere. Even like <laughs> later on, there was a movie and I don't remember when it came out called Varsity Blues about a bunch yeah. of kids who were in high school. They go to a strip club and their teacher from high school is a stripper in the strip of club. Course. And this song is the one that she plays as her dance set. It's just a <laughs> great, fun song. There's mm-hmm. that crazy drum solo at the beginning of it, John, yeah. that you talk about sounds like a sputtering motorcycle a little bit. Yeah. For a brief moment before the guitar kicks in, to me, it feels like it's going to become a jazz piece, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. But then, boom, Eddie Van Halen jumps in there, and it is the (laughs) craziest guitar riff I can remember hearing at that time in my life. It's interesting you you say that. Marcus calls it a fast and furious boogie shuffle, so you're not too far off. Mm. (laughs) I always love this song just the way the beginning sort of layers the music. You know, you start mm-hmm, with one mm-hmm. instrument, then it adds another, then it adds another, then it goes just bonkers at that point. Right. But it actually, it made me pay attention to each one, though. Like, I paid attention to the drums. Then when he mm-hmm. plays guitar, I actually was paying attention to that. Probably more so than if they all started together, you know, right. as one sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you nailed it for me, George. It's a fun song. It's just fun. I mean, generally, the song, as you said, it's about lusting over some authority figure. But ironically, the very things that I was dogging on them for Drop Dead Legs, they do differently here. It's not about objectifying individual assets, if you will, pardon the pun, of, of someone. It's about general just juvenile innuendo and double entendre. You know, I brought my pencil, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> this is so fun and funny. We said at the top of the show that Van Halen brought fun and energy into rock that was sometimes a little too over serious and this song for me is just makes me smile because it's how i was when i was a kid in junior high and going oh my goodness miss jones is pretty good looking you know (laughs) for me this is the song that epitomizes that 
even though they were at loggerheads for most of their relationship in the career, mm-hmm. this song shows that really, to me, the best version of Van Halen is when Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth are in the thing together. I think yeah. David Lee Roth's delivery and Eddie Van Halen's artistry are on full display with this song. Now, Marcus B, he has this big, long thing of all this stuff about, you know, all the factoids and everything about uh, I For me, it's a gut feeling with this song. Mm-hmm. You hear David Lee Roth, like you said, I brought my pencil. You know, just <laughs> that coupled with that crazy guitar riff and all of the musicality of the song. I, I think it's the best song on the album. I think it's better than Jump. I think it's better mm-hmm. than Panama. I can't say if it's better than the others because I didn't hear those until today. But <laughs> I think Ooh. it's the best song on the album. And it makes me sad that they couldn't stay together. Yeah, th- there's something about people at odds. And yet somehow when they're doing their art, that friction turns into like it turns into cement. Like it's like mm-hmm. this, th- th- the things that make us angry at each other, we're going to channel into our music and just I don't know what it is, but I, I would tend to agree with you that david lee roth era not being a super van halen fan the stuff when he is there is the stuff that i remember the most and this song this song epitomizes that stuff for me yeah let's move along then to the next track on this album and this was probably the one that i the third most heard song that i knew and i actually didn't know the name of the song or what it was about i just knew the lyrics and what the name of it was but the track is i'll wait lied to our audience but i know that song i've heard that song <laughs> yeah i saw yep. the title on our card here and i'm like i've never i'll wait what the fuck is i'll wait that doesn't sound like a van halen song exactly i know that song now yeah. mm-hmm. oh my god i i did like that song quite a bit it's not as good as you know hot for teacher or jump or panama but i like that song yeah yeah i i like it a lot too now is that i never knew the song just like you and uh it wasn't until prepping for the show that I like to dig into like what is the overall meaning of a song what is the intent behind it and it's heavier than I thought it was it's a song about a love that's starting to fade away mm-hmm. and in a way I find this track on the album to be the most mature of all of the songs I mean they're a party band they're a rock band they're a womanizing you know whatever drug and Panama car band but this song is about a relationship and and one that's fading. Now, it's still got all the signature Van Halen stuff in it, but I really love how, like, listen, I wrote a letter and told her these words that meant a lot to me. I never sent it. She would have never heard. Her eyes don't follow me. Mm. Mm. I have to say, though, I can't think of a more 80s sounding intro oh, to yeah. a song. I mean, all this right, could have been yeah. to a Rocky movie or something. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like Rocky 2.5, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but it's funny because it starts that way, but then it kind of turns into something else. Like, you know, it, that's mm-hmm. one thing I noticed from listening to this. Like, their intros, I mean, it all works as a, a song, but where you start and where you end up seem to be very different. And I don't know if that was, I'm not, again, I'm not a music person, but mm-hmm. it just seemed like listening to it, that seemed the impression I got. Yep. You know, Marcus gave us some interesting factoids. He talks here about that the producer, Ted Templeman, 
when David Lee Roth was having problems with the lyrics that you guys are talking about, mm-hmm. he suggested that they bring in, I don't know why, but Michael McDonald from the Doobie Brothers. Doobie Brothers. <laughs> and he helped with the melody and the lyrics on wow. this song. Yeah, that, that must be why it sounds so much more mature, right? Because they brought in yeah. someone from outside to kind of add a layer of, you know, an established older musician. That makes a lot of sense. That, wow. Yeah. Who knew there'd be a reason for something that I was just wildly guessing at? <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it didn't go like completely smoothly, though, from what Marcus put in his notes, that apparently Michael McDonald did not get credited originally. Yeah. Van Halen had to go back and rectify it, and then he got, you know, credit and royalties from it. And, you know, he says that, you know, Van Halen did not handle it this as well as they could have. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and oddly enough, when I was looking up stats for, uh-huh. you know, the first part of the podcast, I saw that Michael McDonald had been not credited on the U.S. version of the release, but was credited on the U.K. version. Oh, and that's how huh. all of that ended up coming to fruition and, uh-huh. you know, how they had to make it right. Because, like, well, you obviously credited him when you released this in the U.K., so you owe this man money. Yeah. And yeah, it's, yeah. I guess it's just a weird thing. Sometimes people have these weird circumstances where a popular artist just happens to wander into the studio that day and sits in <laughs> on a song or something and nobody realizes it and forgets about it or something. But in this case, they asked this man to come in, pay him his money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pay me. And it turns into a great, great oh, track. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Such a good ballad. So we mentioned mm. before several times that like, you know, Ben Halen is like the guitarist band, right? The, for the people who yeah. really like oh, the music. Yeah. And I think this next song, Girl Gone Bad, is another example of that. So again, I'm going to kick this off with some Marcus quotes that I don't understand, but I think everyone, okay. <laughs> people who play right. guitar yeah. will, which is yeah. that he says that it has a really cool intro, which again, we becoming that he, Ben Hill mm-hmm. really likes long intros in their songs. Yeah. With tapped harmonics, it's a fast, articulate guitar runs doubled with drum fills. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounded good. That, that's all I know. It did. Yeah. So I'm going to say this and I'm probably going to get in trouble. I don't like this song. Mm, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Why don't you like it? It yeah. feels incredibly disjointed to me. It does, it doesn't it? It feels like the drum and the guitar and the singing yep. do not belong together. It feels like they're all in different spaces. I don't know about rhythms or tetric, blah, 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 articulate, this, that, or that. I'm not a musician. I don't know. Double I only know fills. what I like and I don't like. Like, I don't know if I can make a potato chip, but I know which ones I like. I don't like this potato chip. It feels like three different people recorded three different things, and mm. then a fourth person said, let's put them together and make a song out of it. That's what it feels like to me. I don't like this. And let David Lee Roth sing it. Yeah. Well, no, he was the third thing, the singing. Oh, just, oh he's the third one. Okay. Yeah, it was like the rhythm, The it doesn't feel like it goes together. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It almost seems like one of those songs, like like some of these art movies you see, that I'm like, I didn't like it. I think John did make a comment get it. once mm-hmm. after we saw a movie that John's like, I'm not smart enough to enjoy this movie. Yeah, The yeah. Lighthouse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nope, I'll never know that movie. This must be how Marcus, our first Marcus, feels about the movie Midsummer. Yes. Yeah. You know, and whereas this song, yeah, this song almost seems like, you know, I'm not enough of a music, music person to really appreciate this song, which I'm sure there's some brilliant mm. things going on here that I just don't mm. get. Yeah. The, now I focus more on it and I get what you're saying. It almost feels like it was a showcase. Like, oh, we're going to highlight mm-hmm. some guitar playing here. So what can we use to do it? And therefore the, the long intro with the long, the dee 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 
and the, the drum fills and stuff. I focus more on the lyrics, though. Again, I like to look up what they're about. And it's pretty simple. The lyrics are pretty straightforward, actually. Uh, it's a story of a woman who has gone astray and embraced a darker path in life or who has seduced and manipulated men for financial gain, possibly a sex worker or a prostitute. We don't know. But even that, that tells a story and that's interesting. But I agree with you guys, this song, because I'm not a guitarist, because I'm not listening to those parts of the song, it's a song I'm waiting to be over to hear the next one, really. you know. And so yeah, it's, different people are going to find different things. I don't want to feel like I have to work to enjoy something yeah. sometimes. Like, yeah. You know, I get that sometimes you do, and if you're a really big fan of something, I get that you're okay with understanding the nuances and working mm-hmm. for that. I'm I'm just not that when it comes to music, so I just want to enjoy it. And yeah, I didn't I, agree. I didn't like this one. Yeah. For different reasons, we find this one a little hard to get our heads around. <laughs> well, let's see how we do with the final song on the album, fourth song of side two, and that is House of Pain. This is definitely the darkest and most aggressive song on mm, the album. Big this time. is hardcore heavy metal. I, I know that Marcus <laughs> let us know there's a demo version where they recorded this with Gene Simmons before they oh. got signed to Warner Brothers. I mean, that fits. That makes I, sense. This, yeah, it definitely fits. I'm back to finally liking the album again. Last song, maybe not want to listen mm-hmm. to the rest of the album, but this song, it's not Van Halen the way I think of Van Halen. Yeah. But it's really powerful. I felt like this song doesn't fit on the album. This feels okay. like a party album from anything from, you know, cars to women to musical you know, expertise to all that stuff. And then this is, it's so heavy and dark. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the lyrics in it are exploring the metaphorical concept of life as a tumultuous journey filled with obstacles. That's not a party song. That's like, <laughs> woe is me, my life, and the struggle and the pain. And Marcus even notes how weird it is that this song was the last song we hear from this original lineup of Van Halen. This was their out-the-door song, which is too really? bad. This is where, like... David Lee Roth is this gone. And After this. Wow. Yeah, apparently. Oh. Yeah, which seems yeah. odd. It was funny, you know, we were listening to the song together for a second there, and all three of us were doing the whole headbang thing. Doing the headbang. <laughs> yep. We're in the car. Blaine's world. <laughs> Marcus points out to us that House of Pain, this track, is a deep cut fan favorite and performed quite a bit throughout their tour. Uh, he says it has an intensity to it, but also a fun, groovy breakdown toward the end. Uh. I didn't make it to the end <laughs> myself. <laughs> I listened to this album twice and prep for this, and I probably didn't get to that end just because it was so heavy and dark and unlike the rest of the album. I was ready to go back and restart at the beginning so like rather it. than here to the end. So I expect probably a lot of people got turned off before they got to the end of this to hear what Marcus points out might be the highlight. Yeah. Okay. We have made it through the entire album, 1984, by Van Halen with the help of Marcus with his expertise. When we get back, though, it's all on our side of the table. We're going to each pick a favorite track to champion. Tell you what our favorites are. That's right after this. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. 
The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. If you're a die-hard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. Get ready for the MTV Lost Weekend with Van Halen. Do you have the guts to enter this contest? Destination unknown. You'll have no idea where you are. You'll have no idea where you're going and probably no memory of it after you go, but it'll be the whole weekend. We shouldn't call it a contest because we don't know what's going to happen to the winner. Here's what we can tell you. We'll wait till the last minute to let you in on where and when you're going. Just drop us the right postcard and a big black limo takes you and a friend of the MTV Learjet. Then you're off on the Lost Weekend with Van Halen. This ain't no one-night stand. <laughs> That's right. You win two days of Van Halen concerts, parties, food, sound checks, loud music, and... How about a little joyride in the back of my limo? MTV gives you a thousand bucks and unmarked bills and a portable VCR so you'll have the evidence on videotape. On board the MTV Learjet yet you'll get a private screening of Paramount Pictures' new movie, Footloose. And if you make it home, you'll each keep an Atari 5200 Super System with three Atari 5200 game program cartridges and the Honda Nighthawk 450. 1,000 runners-up win a copy of Van Halen's latest album, 1984. Van Halen, The Lost Weekend. Difficult to learn, risky to perform, and worth every minute of it, baby. I'll race you to the phone. That's a postcard, David. Send it to the MTV Lost Weekend with Van Halen, P.O. Box. 1211 Radio City Station, New York, New York, 10101. Are you ready for the big time? It's ready for you. You know, as we were going through this podcast, I often stop listening to the two of you and go off and do my own thing. Yeah, we suspect and it. No worries for that. That's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you guys had talked about the album art in the last section, and mm -hmm. I wanted to see what the album cover looked because I didn't remember it. And you were talking about mm -hmm. the cherub and the cigarette thingies and all that yeah. stuff. And I'm like, oh, let me take a look at that. So I Googled it real quick. When I did that and I went to the Google image search, on the very far side of the first row, there was a picture of the four guys from the band and it said Van Halen 1984 documentary. Ooh. So I went and took a look and apparently just last year, somebody produced, and I don't know where you can find this, but they produced a five part documentary about Van Halen and 1984 oh. specifically. Oh, yeah. look that up. Eddie is in all that. the episodes. Sammy Hagar is in one. So it, it looks like it might be something worth checking out since we're talking about this album. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll see if I can find a link to it and uh, throw it to Mo to uh, jam in the show notes for our listeners. Cool. Yeah. All right. It's time then before we go, it's time to champion a track. So we've listened to the entire album. We've talked about how much we remember them, what we think of them. Uh, and if you were listening, you probably may have already divined which is whose favorite track, but we're going to run through. <laughs> so why don't we start with 
with you, Mo, pick sure. your favorite track from this album, 1984. I, I grabbed the low-hanging fruit here. I admit it. Mine is Jump. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's easy. Yeah. You know, and honestly, for me, it was because I was not a Van Halen fan. Like, I didn't really listen to Van Halen before this. Okay. Before I, mm-hmm. before I heard Jump, actually, to be honest. Um, oh. The music video, still, I can still picture it in my head with David Roth doing all those stupid kicks mm-hmm. and stuff in the air. And all right. that kind of stuff, yeah. Which I was right. like, holy crap, he could do that and sing. It's, again, too much talent in one person. <laughs> Simultaneously. <laughs> and simultaneously. <laughs> I mean, from the songs, I mean, it. Rolling Stone ranked it 177 on the 500 greatest songs of all time. Mm-hmm. It's a song I can hear and I don't. I don't seem to get tired of it. You know, it's still like brings it also brings me right back to the 80s, you know, and, and brings me back to that time and it makes you feel good. I know the original lyrics actually came about because uh, they said that Daily Roth was talking to somebody who was like suicide jumper and somebody yelled out at somebody in the crowd, some asshole right. yelled, you know, go ahead and jump. So yeah. he took that line though, but said, I'm going to change them, make it from a horrible thing to a outlook on life. Like, go ahead and just do it. Right. You know, take a chance and go for it. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I think it, it's, even though it's a pop song i think it has a lot of depth to it yeah it's um, that's why it's popular because there's more to it than meets the eye or the ear yeah. i guess in this case or sure. ear. <laughs> good choice How about you, yeah. John? what was yours mine is without a doubt hot for teacher i mean my, my, a close <laughs> second is always because how mature that is <laughs> oh there was one believe you me <laughs> middle school science teacher we're not going to go any deeper than that no hot for teacher is just such a fun song to listen to. And again, the, what did I say before? Like the kind of the body parts or the kind of nasty, dirty parts. It's so juvenile. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not a way that offends my sensibilities at all. Not that I'm easily offended really, but it's just fun loving. And it reminds me of, it's the same reason I like South Park because they say horrible things. You're like, kids shouldn't say that. Like, but we did, you know, that's, that's how kids are, especially little boys. And it just reminds me of, you know, self-discovery and the, the fun of that you had in school. And this of course came out as you're a young teen and reminds you of that and all of the little it's i just i'm not the first person to say that david lee roth is the greatest front man ever and it's because of his attitude that he pushes through these lyrics in this song he's that guy who's saying all the stuff you want to say in school when the teacher is hot right he's like <laughs> hey uh-huh. hey look at over there you know and we're trying to keep cool it just it's the fun it's the fun of this song. Hot for Teacher is by far my favorite track. Jump is great. Panama is great. All wait, all that's good. But for me, it's Hot for Teacher. George, how about you? Favorite? Now, did it change at all now that you heard all the entire album? What's your favorite? No. Um, no? So, no, it did not change at all. My favorite okay. is still Hot for Teacher. However, some fucker got to the card before me <laughs> and took that song. Gotcha. Gotcha. So... <laughs> I ended up going with the third song I knew, which was Panama. And I know earlier I was talking about, I thought I remembered a boat in the video, but I think I was conflating this with Duran Duran or something like that. But this video was the one where it was another one like jump. It was like Mo's uh, concert stage video performance kind of a (laughs) thing interspliced with some other like little quick scene segments. There is a scene of them driving an older fifties car down Hollywood Boulevard. It looks like. Mm. Uh, So maybe Maybe that's part of the song reference to the car that David Lee Roth got the inspiration from. It, it's really fun. This is the one where they're um, they start off with a biplane flying in the video for some weird reason, <laughs> and then David Lee Roth is holding a boombox as he's flying across the stage on a wire. Oh, thing. I remember that in, that moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they have some of the other band members doing it. You see Eddie Van Halen in a tuxedo at a concert piano, so I guess that's a reference to how he started off as a musician. Mm-hmm. 
it's just a fun song. The lyrics don't feel complicated. You Panama. That's, you know, you only have to remember that one <laughs> word and you've got yeah. 90% of the lyrics, but it's just a fun song. It's got a good driving, fun, uplifting beat. It's one that when you've got a convertible and you're driving down PCH or something like that, mm-hmm. you just want to listen to this type of a song. And yep. I know hot for teacher and jump. I, understand those songs better. I've heard them more. Those are two more of my favorites, but this song is right up there with them. So since I couldn't take either of those, Panama is my favorite song. And hey, not a bad pick at all. No, not all. a bad song though. Oh. We got once more thank our buddy Marcus Brixa for yes. volunteering to uh, give us his insight mm. on this album. We hope you have, we have done your album justice. I'm sure you'll let us know. <laughs> We're grateful for the time you put in to help us prepare for this podcast. We also want to thank a brand new Patreon supporter, Lee B, who popped over to oh, patreon.com slash Gen X grown up and signed up to support and help pay for the thing that we give away for free. This show, our YouTube content, our website content, We're so grateful for you, Lee. As you probably already know, you're joining an amazing roster of generous people who support us over at Patreon. If you'd like to join Lee and that crowd, all you have to do is, again, head over to patreon.com slash genxgrownup for as little as a dollar a month. You can join this roster. Hey, Marcus Brixa, who produced this, he's on that roster too. Another great supporter and guy that we love and support. So, hey, thanks so much for that. Guys, I had a hell of a good time running through 1984 with you. These musical backtracks are uh, they're, they're some of our most popular. People really like to hear them. And because especially in this year, 40th anniversary of so much amazing music, oh, Kenny, I guarantee you. 40. Yes, stop saying 40. This won't, sorry, this won't be the last one you hear this season, I assure you. That is going to wrap it up for this backtrack edition of the show. Don't worry. If you were worried, don't worry, because we'll be back in two weeks with another one. Next week is the standard edition of our show. Until then, I'm John George. Thank you so much for being here, man. Yes, sir. You know I appreciate you, Mo. Always fun, man. Fourth listener, you're the one we appreciate most of all, though. We cannot wait to talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. I cannot wait to unplug these landline phones. And there's like 12 of them in the house and it, it echoes the whole house. Oh. And I I never answer that phone. I won't pick it up because it's, yeah, it's the one you people that call to. me call my cell. It's always spam. The only person it ever is, is my brother-in-law who doesn't remember which phone is which. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> you still have it. We got rid of ours years ago. We saved money by keeping the landline, the bundle they wanted to give right. us. So yeah, so I ended up doing that. Which You is, know, even oh, though the line is connected, you can still unplug the phone. I, I could. <laughs> My wife wants it. <laughs> that would solve the problem because you would it's forget true. about it completely. She would never know it's ringing. Yeah. I, I, I have to walk around and unplug a bunch of them too. Jesus. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.